This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, folks, if you're like me and you're pulling your carcass out of bed every morning, there's really only one thing that makes the morning relatively bearable, and that is a cup of good coffee. And now you can sweeten that deal in the morning with a little bit of Skull Brew coffee, knowing that with every cup you're drinking, you are giving back to conservation. As I'd mentioned in an earlier special announcement podcast and via email, I have launched the Skull Brew Coffee Company, which is geared toward giving back to conservation with every sale we make. If you want to get involved in the pre-launch plan, all you need to do is go to skullbrewcoffeeperks.com, and that will get you a referral code. It lets you work toward discounts on coffee and ultimately some free coffee. So what could be better than free coffee in the morning? Check it out, SkullBrewCoffeePerks.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 106. Today we're kicking off another installment of the DIY Report, and we're talking public land camera strategies. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you all are doing well out there, and hope you managed to stay warm this past week. It was uh, it was freakishly cold here in Pennsylvania, which I know for some folks it might might have may have been even a little bit worse. I know talking to John the one day, I want to say it was in the minus twenties the one morning when he when he woke up, and then of course our brothers and sisters that are in the Michigan area had it even worse than that, if I'm not mistaken. But we've had a little bit of a turn of weather here. I think today it touched 50 degrees and maybe even 60 degrees here tomorrow, which may, which has me thinking of turkey season, getting after the the spring thunder, the the, the kings of spring, if you will. Um, but before I do that, though, I do have a date in Iowa to do a little shed hunting and a little scouting. It's not too early to start making plans for next year. Of course, this time of year is a great time to get into the timber and kind of see what sign kind of sign was laid down. But 
you know, I have to try to always remind myself not to get too enamored with the sign that I'm seeing during during the off season, only because I'm not sure exactly what time of the year that that sign might have been made. But nonetheless, it's always good to get out in the woods and kind of take a survey of what was going on uh, during the course of the year. And I'll I'll plan to do that in Iowa here in a few weeks. I'll be chasing or I'll be doing a little scooping of sheds on some public ground and doing a little scouting on public ground and uh, and plan to draw this year and be headed out there this this fall. So hopefully I'll start making some decent plans that will lead to some some form of success here when uh, when November rolls around. But speaking of public land, one of the things a few weeks ago I had sent a a message on Instagram to see what type of content you guys would be looking for or to hear more about. And one of the things that came back as a resounding yes was wanting to kind of hear more about uh, public land trail camera strategies. So fortunately, my buddies at Exodus Outdoor Gear spend a plenty spend spend a lot of time on public land hunting. Uh, you know, I hunt a fair amount. And you've heard me talk about hunting with Chad. He and I hunted some big wood settings, uh, public land in Ohio and so forth. And so he has a lot of great kind of insight as to how he likes to go about um, hanging cameras and hanging set uh, setups and the things he's kind of looking for. And uh, Jake is all, Jake is on as well from Exodus Outdoor Gear. And it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition to kind of see, you know, Jake does uh, get onto some public land. You know, he's from Illinois, um, but he does also hunt some, some private. So it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition as to what we're seeing on public versus what Jake is kind of doing on private. And and how some of those things are similar in both places, which is kind of interesting because I don't think you really have to, you know, re reinvent the wheel, you know, going from from private to, to public. I think there's just some nuanced differences in what you might look for and how you might go about qualifying a parcel and stuff like that. So we have the Exodus crew on to kind of talk about that and uh, and give you guys some tips around some public land trail camera strategies. But we're not going to belabor this up front. We're going to go ahead and get right to it. The one thing I do want to mention is that the Great American Outdoor Show is still going on. And our buddies at Exodus do have a booth there, Exodus not or booth nine twenty seven. I'll be there on the ninth and the tenth here. So this coming weekend, I'll be there both days on Saturday and Sunday. Man in the booth with uh, Chad and Jake. So be sure to stop by and say hi. And right now, if you haven't seen on social media, they did just kind of make mention that they're getting ready to launch their render trail camera, which will be their cellular camera. Uh, the cool thing is, is if you come to the Great American Outdoor Show and visit the booth, you can actually buy that on presale. Uh, with a show uh, for a show price. If you're not able to make it to the show, you can, of course, starting uh, actually yesterday, if you've downloaded this on Wednesday, uh, as you're listening to this, you will be able to go to the website and start to pre-order the render cell trail camera. Don't miss the uh, don't miss the upfront of this. Uh, be sure if you're at the show to make sure to stop by the booth and, and grab that deal. The, uh, they'll be doing the pre-sell now, but they'll also be shipping these. Uh, they'll be headed out in April to land in your your mailboxes or your uh, door front. So, so don't delay. Make sure you head over to excessoutdoorgear.com and check out the render, render camera or stop by booth 927 at the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg and pay us a visit. We're also brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest, cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used simply put the toughest saws on earth how tough are they tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty and right now when you visit wickedtreegear.com use the promo code truth at checkout and get a 20 percent discount on your wicked purchase also be sure to pay john a visit at the wicked tree gear booth at the great american outdoor show booth 932 it's actually directly across from the exodus booth so you can pay both of us a visit at the same time we're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. Everything is bigger and better in Texas. If, no matter if you're in the South, Midwest, or Northeast, Tecamani has your food plot seed needs covered. Visit Tecamani.com, check out their product selector tool, and allow them to help you pick the right seed for your food plots. Use promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 
percent. And right now is a great time to get your uh, get your clover or whatever you plan to do uh, use for your frost seeding because that is fast approaching as well. We're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, fishing, camping, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com, promo code TRUTH at checkout, and save yourself 20%. And now let's get on with some public land trail camera strategies. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And back by popular demand are my buddies from Exodus. I know I uh, shot out a question to all you folks on social media just trying to get a sense of what type of content you guys want to want to hear and one thing that kind of kept popping up was things around public land and camera strategies on public land so i thought there was no one better to bring on than my public land hunting partner chad <laughs> sylvester and his and his partner in crime jake from uh from exodus trail cameras so how you guys doing man good man doing great. Uh, beautiful day super bowl sunday just super ready to get it yeah man it's this is the first one we've done in person this is the first time i've done like a three person podcast i was almost said three-way which was gonna be really bad (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think uh chad's wearing his tom brady jersey this morning oh he's got it under his shirt there (laughs) come on now that's terrible he's he's in philly like (laughs) you you on the tb12 method or something you did get up at like 4 30 this morning and get a workout in so i don't know you might be tom bradying it up trying to fight father time yeah want to be yeah, yeah. I think everyone wants to be Tom Brady at, Who this, doesn't? at this point. Yeah. yeah, He's got a pretty good thing going, man. Model yeah. wife, winner. I was like, something bad's got to happen to that guy at some point. You know, like, never. Yeah, never. <laughs> never. <laughs> well, as a Steeler fan, I'm going to go ahead and, like, change the subject. Yes. The Patriots are a little sore subject with me. But, so today what we want to do, this, this, of course, is another installment of the DIY Report miniseries. And as, I, as I'd mentioned, you know, hearing you guys want to hear more about public land camera strategies, and so what I think we're going to do here is we're going to take this in three parts. And this first part that we're going to talk about today is going to be assessing the property overall. You know, how are you kind of qualifying a parcel? And I know we've talked about that in different iterations and in different ways. Part two of this series is going to be more about camera strategies for, for the early season and pre-rut. So how are, you moving, how are we moving our cameras and, and what are we kind of looking for with, uh, with that information? And then the last part is going to be how are we using cameras on public land during rut and during late season. So this first session, we're going to be assessing the property. So just to kind of jump right into it, mm-hmm. you know, what type of areas are you focusing on, you know, you know, whenever you're looking to kind of start to qualify a piece of public land and how are you using, using your cameras? Are you focusing on overlooked areas, small parcels? You know, what type of places are you kind of trying to identify? Well, for me, it really starts on a digital end. And, you know, we can just on a very high level, like topographical features on a map, identifying those. Um, And then aerial photos of the actual habitat, how it lays out as far as edge transitions. Um, So that's where it really starts. Um, But boots on the ground, I'm looking for the goal there should be, you know, you should the assessing a property doesn't change whether it's public or private. Like the goal is still, you know, is still the same qualifying, you know, whether it's uh, an area of interest or not. Um, so for me personally, it's about collecting the inventory data to start. Like mm-hmm. that's the, that's the baseline. Um, and that starts at looking at food, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so food, um, terrain features, benches, pinch points, funnels, you know, if you're in hill country and then, edges like deer or creature of edges so those are the specific types of areas um that i'm going to put and you know depending on how large the parcel is i'm going to identify those areas and i call them like hub cameras like Mm -hmm. those are cameras that'll probably stay there and never really get moved around too much like they'll be there 365 and we'll just let them run and depending on what data i gather then i'll start casting a net and you know in in certain areas but to get started those are kind of the 
simple core features where I'm going in and just looking for inventory. Right. And I know, you know, we were talking yesterday a little bit and you'd mentioned, I think that's the perfect thing to kind of mention is that like everyone's looking for the magic bullet when you go to public land, like yeah. where am I going to put these right. things, right? Because, but it, the process really doesn't change. And I know Jake, you had even from like a private perspective, mm -hmm gathered a bunch of new pieces of property this year so you're kind of going through the same thing so how are you kind of doing that as well um lots of hard knocks man honestly yeah. <laughs> uh, i still have open wounds from this year as yeah. far as um mistakes that were made but similar process as far as prospecting par property looking at it from uh digital scouting and also learning what's the hunting pressure on the surrounding areas and something that i do i hung some cameras on public for the first time this year and i went through and i took i went to the illinois dnr site and i took the amount of deer harvested per the number of huntable acres and then you know like per deer per huntable acres to right. kind of get a better gauge on the hunting pressure and, and kind of vet out those different areas but as far as um so you know similar strategy hub cameras you know travel corridors right. and then you know strategizing moving them out and, and trying to capitalize on rut data too so a lot of these pieces i was hunting for the very first time i'm not a fantastic deer hunter i don't know if i was going to be able to put a move on a particular deer in the same year so it was really just gathering that data learning it um, because experience and, and mistakes are the best way to learn and that's right. that's ultimately what i did this year right 100 percent. i mean i think the important thing to kind of note here is that you know cameras are a tool in your mm -hmm. toolbox for this right and so whether you're hunting private or you're hunting public like you really need to kind of start start at that a thousand or three thirty thousand foot view right. of like what does the property look like overall you know one thing i know that we've talked about in the past a little bit when we're qualifying a piece of public is to your point jake i think it's what's the surrounding pressure right what places within that public are getting hit mm -hmm. are there any new pieces that have just been kind of picked up by the state or the dnr or mm -hmm. whatever that might that people might not know about yet mm -hmm. right that might have some clean hunting and then don't overlook those small parts because everyone always kind of looks at those big like you know ten thousand acre chunks and it's like that's where i'm going to go because there's a lot of room you know, and then there might be a little like 200 acre chunk over here that everyone's overlooking because it's like, mm -hmm. oh, it's just a small piece. There can't be any good deer there, right? right? But what we've learned over time is that deer go where people aren't. <laughs> they're not really choosy that, as yeah. whether it's 200 acres, whether it's 10,000 acres. If people are overlooking it and they're not there, yeah. that's where the deer are going to be. One one quick note on that, just on while we're talking about pressure on the on the public side, um, water features. Mm -hmm. yeah. Water features are a big deal. Terrain it even it limits it limits access for whatever reason. There could be a creek that's maybe only knee deep. But there aren't a lot of guys that are gonna take the time to, to you know, get across it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, standing water swamps, rivers, whatever. Um, right. a, a lot of those sometimes water features and creek crossings. Uh, I mentioned, you know, some of those edges and uh, topography features to place cameras. But did you find a solid creek crossing? Like you're gonna Posted get it. on Instagram last night. Yeah, I mean that's a great place to collect yeah. inventory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially if you have something where there's a that's pinching them down to a specific spot, or if you find a spot that's really shallow, right, yeah. where it's like they're going to mm -hmm. have to cross, right. you know what I mean? Like that could be money, not just for a camera setup, but that could be money for a stand setup. Possibly, you know? yeah. So now that we've gotten to the point to where we found the piece of land that we that we want to set up on, right, let's assume that we found a chunk over the winter, you know, during this time of year that we want to that we want hunt, and now we're kind of moving into summer. Mm -hmm. We're going to actually start to prep for the, for the fall hunts. Mm -hmm. You know, what type of areas are you going to kind of prioritize to hang cameras to kind of start to gather that inventory that you don't know, you know, you don't know much about this parcel at this point. So where we're getting ready to walk into the woods and, and where are you thinking about hanging cameras? So this is summer? Yeah. Like yep. velvet, velvet, velvet yep. fest, velvet season. Um, for me, a lot of my experience is, it, is in the big woods um, and knowing that deer, you know, once their testosterone levels rise and, you know, they become hard horned, that the habitat needs are going to um, change a little bit. You know, are going to be looking for that high stem count um, security cover. So in the summer months, it's still me collecting inventory on those food sources and um, some of those key terrain features. 
um, with those hub cameras. And then once that, you know, the shift, whatever you want to call it, October law, like once they get hard horned, then that's where I'm gathering secondary cameras and I'm starting to cast a net to really pinpoint down, you know, what those deer are doing. So through the summer months, it really doesn't change a whole lot for, you know, a whole lot for, for my strategy. But I have, I have a lot of cameras at my disposal. Yeah. Right. So right. I can afford to, you know, put 20 or 30 hub cameras out and not ever have to touch them. Right. You know, a lot of people don't have that, don't have that ability. So my advice would be, um, you know, use those hub cameras. And then when the data starts to, you know, as food sources change, then that's where you're going to want to pull your dead cameras and maybe transition them to, you know, right. white oaks if they're starting to drop, you know, late September or uh, soft mass trees or, or whatnot. But right. it, for me, it's still food. Right. And I'm, so I've had both sides of that, right? It's like I hunt a fair amount with you on mm-hmm. in the big wood setting. So it's like I get the benefit of you having 20 to 30 cameras that we right. don't move, right? <laughs> but on the sides where I am hunting, kind of hunting solo on public or whatever, you know, I do have to prioritize where I'm yeah. going to place cameras, right? Because I don't, I'm not going to cast that wide of a net. So it's like I often look at, you know, whether there's clear cuts, right? Mm-hmm. That's one place I'm going to focus on. It's a great, you know, nature's food plot, right? Absolutely. The other places I'm going to kind of focus on too are like power lines, anywhere mm-hmm. where there's kind of like high grassy, you know, yeah, high just stump count stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's where I'm going to kind of focus on those areas, and I'm also going to focus on some edge, like you talked about, right? So mm-hmm. especially this year, hunting that swamp, it was like my setups were p- particularly on on the edge of the swamp because I knew they were going to try to move along those edges, right? Mm-hmm. And then the last part is, and I'm actually kind of forgetting what I was just going to say, so maybe we just move on to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, just one one quick thing on, on swamps, um, uh, you know, swamp, marshes, all that all that terrain. That's something that's really been new to me. I've spent a lot of time in hill country, but yeah. I've started to hunt some of the swamps. And one of the things that I've noticed with running so many cameras that the bedding um, was really less likely to change Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. As long as the water levels, right? As yeah. the seasons, as the season stayed similar. Yeah. As long as the water levels, yeah. So they're still betting on those on those islands, those high that high ground and you know mm-hmm. wet areas, and yep. then you know coming, they're following those transitions into hardwoods or, or the yep. food sources or wherever they're going after they leave their beds. But the bedding structure isn't really changing. Yeah. As long as the water levels. And I noticed that too. It was, but unfortunately. I, <laughs> where I was hunting, like the water levels were changing, and so I did lose a lot of that bedding. Like the high points were no longer high points. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, that's why the deer kind of disappeared. Right. At that point of the season. That's the crapshoot of hunting those pieces. Yeah. I, yeah. I live along a major river system, yeah. and our season often is dictated on how high the river is. Yeah. And it's tough. Yeah. So the other thing I was going to mention, though, and this is like almost like a duh moment, is just if if you're struggling to figure out where to hang, right, it's like maybe you don't have a clear cut that's nearby, and maybe you're struggling to, like, define what edge is because some people look for that hard edge, and it's not necessarily always a hard edge, right? Yeah. It could just be a slight change in habitat is mm-hmm. enough, right? Yeah. And maybe maybe you're newer at this, and you're not recognizing some of those things right away. It's like the easiest way to do it is, like, find a beat-up trail mm-hmm. and hang a camera. If you don't know anything, that'll start to tell you something, right? right? It's a and starting that's like, point, yeah. That's a starting point, right? And then from there, you can kind of figure out which way the deer are moving, what time are they coming through, and mm-hmm. then from there, you can start to probably figure out which directions are my food sources that they're right. hitting, you know, and then which direction is their bedding. Right. You can kind of start to make your move, your that's, move from there. That's a, that's a really good thought because I think there's an old-school 
Um, you know, you talked to a lot of old timers like my grandfather and guys that were hunting prior to digital cameras, and a lot of those, lot of those guys would cut a track, right? And they they just track that deer. They'd try to identify that track, and then they would follow that track um, and relate that to bedding. And you you know, a lot of guys do that when they're gun hunting or still hunting or fresh snow, like guys who don't cut on tracks. You could do the same thing with cameras. Like you get a picture. Mm-hmm of a deer doing a certain thing on a trail, like if that's your starting point, like if you don't know where to go, you hang a camera on a trail and you get consistent photos of that deer, mm-hmm. you know, using that trail in a certain direction, just start leapfrogging your cameras yeah. and you can start to pin down the food source. You can start to pin down yep. the bedding area. So yep. keep that. I mean, that's a good, that's a good thought that a lot of people don't, they don't think about that. Yeah. And I've used that on, on, on private as well because we had that new piece that my dad picked up that was brand new to me in the mm-hmm. first year. I know I've mentioned this in the past, but I just hung a camera, on, a couple, some cameras on it, and I just watched for a year because I wanted to see which direction they were moving because yeah. I literally knew nothing about. I thought I knew where there was some opportunities, like for bedding or where they were feeding or whatever, but I didn't hundred percent know. And so, and the other important part for me was in that particular piece, and it's played out for me in public as well, is using video mode. Mm-hmm. especially early, right? Later in the season, I'm not as concerned with video mode, but early in the season, I want video mode because I want to see from which direction they're traveling. Because a lot of times, you know, cameras sometimes, like a deer, a deer will fool you, man. They'll come into a camera a certain way, and you'll be like, oh, man, they're, they they got to be coming from this direction. It's like, nope, they just looped behind the tree, and they were set up differently, and then whenever they left, they left in a different direction, yeah, yeah. right? So camera or video mode for me has been kind of instrumental. Yeah, right? it's it, huge. It helps answer, you know, the Ws, like when, where, why. Yeah. And the personality of the, if you are able to figure out that deer, like yesterday we were watching the video and there was a big buck that was coming in a scrape and his tail was tucked. Like those are the little things that you would never, ever get if you weren't running video. Right. right? And we were talking to, at that point we were talking to Cody DeQuisto and, yeah. and, and Greg Litzinger, which are two you yeah. know, good guys to talk yeah. to with that kind of and stuff. And I hate and to admit that was my video and I was like, I never, I didn't, I didn't right. pick up on well, that and those was, guys are killers. It was the first thing that Greg picked up on. He's like, yeah. that deer's tail's down. He's like, I see that a lot of time in New Jersey. And Cody was like, you know, I rarely see a big deer like that with his tail down. And then you had mentioned that there were five other bucks that were working that yep. scrape. And, and they were fighting, sparring earlier that morning. Right. And the, there was a, a tank that was on there. So clearly yeah. the one that had his tail down was not the dominant buck. Mm-hmm. And so then it made more sense, right? Yeah. right. So if you're ch- checking your your camera intel and you're seeing bucks come in with their tail up and one's down you can pretty much figure out like okay there's one on here that's that's better than yes. that guy or that's more dominant we can't say that he's bigger yeah he might just be more mature he may be right. a bully too and, right and, and get rid of the bully buck. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. exactly so at this point you know we've kind of figured out you know what are some food sources we're going to hang our, our hanger cameras on you know we figured out like how we're kind of changing between like big woods versus like if you're hunting a piece of public that does have some ag around it um figured out you know trails might be a good place to start if you don't have a better starting point but what particularly during this time of year you know if you're start if you're getting ready to plan a hunt right and you're getting your inventory from these cameras from the summer right or from the early part of the season you know what are you really looking for in this in this camera data that's going to help you start to make some make some decisions like what say like number one i think this is a place i want to hunt right and number two you know are there are there deer here that i want that i want to hunt yeah well i think um it that depends on which date you're hunting. If there's opportunities to hunt um, that summer pattern, like those early, you know, Kentucky, South Dakota, where you have a chance at a velvet deer, where they're still on their summer patterns, all of that entails very important through the whole summer. Um, if you're like most of the Midwest, where you're open up October 1st or, you know, at a later date, that stuff starts to change. But through the summer, I'm looking at, one, what deer are in the area, identify a specific deer or multiple specific bucks, that I have interest in, you know, in chasing. Um, and then by identifying those, I'm going to create a data log. Mm-hmm. So I'll go in and create a data log, um, specific kind of profiles or whatever on each deer. 
and then from there I'm going back to my topographical maps and aerials to see okay if these deer relocate how am I going to cast my net like where do I think there's bedding opportunities in those high stem count areas security cover um, you know in relation to food where's the doe bedding and then start to devise a plan where I want to start putting these cameras after these bucks break up from their bachelor groups right yeah because that's the challenge right because at this point of the year you don't know who's going to stick around right like dispersals right around the corner mm-hmm. right right and so I think that's a really that's something that I've not done right mm-hmm. is like I've not I've looked at top and been like where is the bedding opportunity right mm-hmm. where's the feeding opportunity how are they going to get to and from yeah. but I've never looked at it through the lens of okay when these disperse what are the what are the possibilities that these guys are going to disperse to these specific areas, yeah, right. right? Well, in a big wood situation, that's nice to where you can speculate. Right. For for me, like oh, we have a small farm, right? Tons of deer, big deer and velvet. As soon as the habitat changes, they're all gone, and then they're right. gone throughout the whole season, and they come back late season to right. eat all our food plots. So, right. yeah, <laughs> that's I mean that's an advantage of hunting public yeah. ground. Yeah, yeah that, I can't do that. Yeah, it's one of the things that we, I think, you know, even Greg and I were talking about yesterday whenever, when he was here, it was just, like, having the ability to kind of um, not have boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if you find a deer you want to chase, you can just go get after him, mm-hmm. you right. know what I mean? It's like, you know, and to your point, Jake, it's like when the deer leave, and I've been up against that, too, yeah. on public grounds, like when, or when private ground, when deer leave, it's like you're just kind of help, left holding the bag. Sitting on your hands, like, hope, hope it gets cold. I hope, <laughs> hope they come back soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Chad? Just, um, you know, as those bachelor groups break up, if you're unfamiliar with bedding, whether it's swamp or hill country or, you know, ag ground or whatever, you could still, um, you know, cast your net on those, kind of forecast what those food sources and how those, the food is going to change. You can look at, um, you know, take your binoculars out in the woods, start looking, start glassing the oak trees. Like, where are these white eggs going to start dropping their acorns? Mm-hmm. Set a camera there. Yep. Start looking at, you know, the soft mass trees. Like, is there, you know, is there an apple tree nearby or whatever? Like, start identifying those early season food sources. Like, as that shift and bachelor, as those bachelor groups start to break up, those are, again, um, I kind of call them secondary cameras. They're not really my hub cameras, but they will still tell you kind of where those deer are going right. to relocate. So, right. if you're unfamiliar with bedding and the bedding opportunities on that piece, Mm-hmm. It still comes back to food. You know? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Well, I think that that's it for part number one. Thanks, fellas, for jumping on and doing yeah, this and uh, looking forward to doing part two. Right on. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Chad and Jake for joining us. Be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com and be sure to check out Exodus at the Great American Outdoor Show booth 927 and be sure to pre order your Exodus Render cell camera. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It would be super awesome if you could do those two things for us. It's super helpful for the show. Before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Excess Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time... We'll see y'all. I could show you through the door. I ain't welcome anymore. And long time coming if it all. It takes a special knowing to call a phone. Damaged heads, broken letters. Nationalize yourself in numbers. But I...
think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.